Hi, everybody. Scott, Hi, everybody. Scott, tell me you just got a very quick sneak peek. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And we're kind of bright here or something. We are. I don't know. It's my shirt. It's very, very, we very are bright. bright. Can you make us less bright? I can make us, I can make us, I can, I can do this. I can take it all the way down to where it looks oh, like we're sitting better. in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh. It's kind of, I have all these dials and switches. It's kind of fun to play with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Probably should do that when you're not live, though. Probably. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So we hope you all are great on this Monday, this uh, uh, Juneteenth, this holiday. Yes. We're here to study, talk about Isaiah and the scroll of Isaiah, right? Yes, so, we are. And we're all the way, today we're in Isaiah 48. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. That's where we are, that's where we are now. It really is amazing. It is. So we're about, you know, of course we did sort of skip a number of chapters when God was calling damnation down yes, on yeah, all these did. foreign nations who were harassing Israel. But still, we're in Isaiah 48. So, yeah. and we'll, we'll probably, I'm guessing maybe get a couple of chapters today. Just kind of given the nature of kind of where we are in the scroll. Right. So anyway, what's new? Not too much is new. It's I just asked Alexa. Yes. What? Uh -huh. What was the degrees? And she said ninety-eight. Why did you ask her how hot it is? I just wanted to know. I know. I but you're kind of a masochist, aren't you? Yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're very lucky. We're inside. The air conditioning's work. Yeah, you know, we have electricity. All you know what things. she's going to say to you this week? What? It's hot. Will you please stop asking? She might. She might. <laughs> I thought she might say, because Alexa and I have a special relationship. Uh, you know, I, I do talk to her, and I don't know if you guys ever do this, but if you talk to Alexa enough, she really wants to be your friend. Not only that, she wants to be what she calls your bestie. So she shares all kinds of stuff with you, and it, it's quite funny. It's really kind so, of funny. Like, am I the only one who finds that creepy? I don't know. No. <laughs> Alexa's favorite song is Aretha Franklin's "Respect." If you ask, would she tell? Would she say that to anybody? I think, or is so. that a tailored for you? She says R E S P E C T. <laughs> that means a lot to me, or something like that. Not the exact words from the oh, song. Oh so. gosh. Anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> have you had enough? <laughs> Might have. Oh, well, you, she'll play games with you. You could play like games like where you'll ask her to do little clips of 70 songs. And she actually pulls a player from somewhere else in the country. And you're you're competing. You know, I'm here too, you know. I know, but you don't know any <laughs> of the music from songs of the 70s. No. I'm a 60s guy all the way. That's so true. All righty. All righty. So, let's pray. All righty. All right. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be back here together on this Monday you know, it's kind of, it's hot out there. It's kind of like being up north in the wintertime. You just kind of stay cool and stay inside or by the pool if you have one and just uh, try to get through it. So we are grateful that we can come together this way to study your word, to continue to make our way through the scroll of Isaiah, um, uh, this this real fountain of, of theology and and affirmation about really the Christian faith and, and we just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to these words and to you today. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. I'm On the way by, could you maybe lower a degree or two? I sure will. Speaking of staying cool. 
sometimes I freeze myself out in here and other times I get warm and so there we go so I'm glad all of y'all are here so we are as I said in Isaiah 48 uh, reading from the from the NIV um, so remember a few weeks back we began Isaiah 40 and we talked about the fact that Isaiah 40 began a sec this long section of Isaiah really I don't know in my view I'm going to keep it simple to the end of Isaiah that comes from the time of the exile the chapters 1 to 39 come from the time of Isaiah um, in about 700 years before Jesus and chapters 40 to the end are are from the time of the exile a second prophet um, uh, writing in the school of Isaiah, taken as scripture, taken as sacred. This was one of the most important scrolls um, that the Hebrews had, uh, second only to the five books of the Torah. And so it was, um, they saw in these writings the truth about who God is, who they are, and the rest of it. So that began in section 40, and in a way, section 40. Page, chapter chapter 40 and in a way chapter 48 sort of closes out an introductory section because as you'll see today I'm sure when we get to check section 49 it begins to change we talk more about the servant and the servant's call and then later the servant's suffering and so forth so so 48 is kind of a closing chapter um and you could call it, if you were to summarize the theme of it, you could call it, if only, if only. I think all of us in our lives have experienced if only times. And they're often very sad, they're, they're tragic. Um, John Golden Gay, a prominent Old Testament uh, scholar, tells the story of, of a time when he was counseling a young man who had cheated on his wife. And he didn't know what would, Golden Gay didn't know what would, what lay ahead for them, but he knew it would be difficult. And the wife was in her perspective on it was if only you hadn't done this if only if only if only and i, I think that's that speaks to a lot of contexts and a lot of situations this idea of if only well you see that's true for god right because what what is the problem um part of understanding isaiah is having the context for what has happened in God's plan of redemption, God's purposes of redemption, right? Um, sure, the sorting out the little little messages in Isaiah is difficult, and yeah, sometimes it's difficult to tell who's exactly speaking in a given verse. Is it the prophet or is it God? Not that that really matters that much, but anyway, because the, the, the prophet is supposed to be a vessel for God's word. But without, without the context for what is happening, 
between God and his people and has happened between God and his people, you don't stand a chance of getting out of Isaiah what you should. It just devolves into a set of, um, you know, cross-stitch sayings and memorized verses and little pieces used in the New Testament, but it's without that context, the book would is just it's just too difficult to to make any sense of. So let's let's just review this in a different way than we have maybe. So God's purposes are to have a people whom God will love and who will love God. That goes back to the first chapter of Genesis. That's what it's all about in the beginning. And so the first plan that God has is for the plan of Adam and Eve. God creates it. He gives them this beautiful place to live and work and all of that, right? And to walk in relationship with God. Well, that plan fails. Why does it fail? Because they toss it away and rebel. That's a good word to hang on to and rebel against God. So they're cast out of the garden. The world falls into evil and God basically starts over, this time with Noah and his family. We might call that plan B. Okay? Plan B. But plan B doesn't work because as soon as Noah and his family disembark, things start to fall apart. The next thing you know, they're building a tower, you know, to the skies and the rest of it. So that plan doesn't work. So now we're on to plan C. (laughs) And plan C is is Abraham, Sarah, their family, Israel. They will be the ones through whom God rescues humanity. And over the next millennium and a half, because Isaiah, this portion of Isaiah is written, you know, we'll just call it 500 years before Jesus. Um, Over the next millennium and a half, they prove to be unable or unwilling to carry out that task. You know, it's, I was thinking about this a little while ago, um, and it's like, so what is Israel, what is Israel like in, in, in the Bible? The, the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, um, constantly chasing after foreign gods and all the rest of it, unable to be the people God has called them to be. It's like, it's like picture there's a lake and a guy is in the lake and he's, and he's drowning in the lake because his boat overturned. And some other boater comes by and jumps in the water to save the first guy. And in a minute, it's pretty clear to the first guy that the second guy can't swim. And so he shouts out to the second guy, what are you doing? And the guy says, I've come to save you. And the first guy says, but you can't swim. And the second guy says, I know, but I'm here for you. Something like that. And they both drown. That's, that's the problem of Israel. They're, they're not willing or able or whatever word you want to put with it to be the people whom God needed them to be. And that is still the problem 
that has come to its culmination in the Babylonian exile. They have now been exiled, sent away from Jerusalem because they have been unfaithful to God. And if they are unfaithful to God, how could they possibly rally the world to God? You see, that's God's problem. That's God's problem. And so this chapter is gonna is kind of an if only chapter. God saying, if only you had been able to do what I ask you to do, to love me and to love others. If only, if only. But they haven't. So, okay. Anything all that stir up there over there, Patty? No, everything is nice and calm. But good, uh, good explanation. Okay. All righty. Well, okay. So we're at chapter 48, verse, and verse 1. And you'll see this interplay between who these people are meant to be and God's understanding of who they, they are. Okay, so listen to this. You descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel. Okay, so just a reminder, the word Israel is a name first given to Jacob. Okay? Um, Jacob, the son of Isaac. And it means one who wrestles with God, one who struggles with God because of this strange experience in Genesis, that's recounted in Genesis where Jacob seems to wrestle with God on a riverbank. And so that name Israel, given by God to Jacob, becomes the name for Jacob's family and then later the name of the kingdom and the nation. Okay? So listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah. Because that's pretty much the only tribe left. You who, who take oaths in the name of Yahweh and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. There's that dose of realism. They are the descendants of Israel of Jacob. They are called by the name of Israel. They do take oath the name of Yahweh. They do invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth and right or righteousness. It's not it's not even really I I I was doing some reading on this. I, I don't think this is a, a, a really a slam on them per se. It's just saying what the truth is. You and know, it, Scott, right. I was just going to say, what this just jumped out to me sounding so similar was Jeremiah saying what the people would say, this is the house of the Lord, this is the house of the Lord. You can't just say those things and then not do anything to show that That's right. you're actually in, you know, somebody you who's You show up and you say, God. this is the house of the Lord, but then you don't do it in truth and righteousness. Where are you? So it's just an acknowledgement, I think, of... of where God's people are and, and the problem that presents for God who does love them and does love the world and humanity and wants to reconcile us all to God, um, to himself. So, verse two, you who called yourself citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. 
You see, verse 2 even has a little edge right to it. You call yourselves. You claim to lie on. Because God just knows the truth. You can't lie to God. You know, I've, I've, I've said this many times. I've run into people who say, well, you know, I can't, I, I can't pray that. I can't admit that. I can't admit that to God. And, I'm thinking of, and I've told them, but God knows. Of course God knows. God knows what's in your heart. You're never going to tell God anything God doesn't already know. <laughs> when I thought, when I was a kid, I thought that was true of my mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's because mothers have eyes behind yeah, their Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure Robbie felt the same way sometime <laughs> when he was a little. I bet he did. <laughs> and then God says, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. And suddenly I acted and they came to pass. Now, this is one of the ways God talks in the scroll of Isaiah. God says, look, in the past, I announced things that I was going to do, and then I did them. Why? So that you would know I am genuine. That's the essence of it. Because those silly little pagan idols of wood and stone and gold and silver, they can't do that, right? They can't do that. They're just inanimate objects, little hunks of wood or stone or gold or silver. I for, so verse 3, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass for I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. They're a stubborn people. We are a stubborn people. We don't learn well. We don't learn from our mistakes. Most of the time we don't even try to learn from our mistakes. We are ignorant of the mistakes and the good choices of, of our forebears. We're, it's so easy for us to be convinced that we are right. And not even listen to people who want to share with us their view that perhaps we're not. For God says, For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, Well, my images brought them about. My little hunks of wood and stone and silver and gold. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. Right? It's, 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 we don't live in a world in which everybody's running around with wooden images and metal gods, though a lot of cultures on the planet today have them. Okay? Um, but not so much. We don't tend to run into it and play in Frisco, Carrollton, and the rest of it here. So we have to make some translation, right, about, you know, um, what do we think is in, invested with the ultimate power to create or something. Um, but here it's clear they have got these pagan gods and goddesses so that you could not say, God says, that my, my images brought these things about, my wooden image, a metal god, they ordained them, they ordered them. Verse 6, you have heard these things, look at them all. Will you not admit them? Will you not admit it? This, this is it. It's almost like God is... 
again exasperated that his people just just can't they can't they can't get it they 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 won't get it and it has to be read in the context of the previous 1500 years a people who got impatient when Moses was at the top of Mount Sinai and made a golden calf to worship and to thank for taking them out of Egypt. A people who, when the kingdom of Israel fell into two, made golden calves and put one up at Dan and one at Bethel and worshipped these golden calves and worshipped at totem poles and Asherah altars and all these things. And they're supposed to be God's people. So God says, verse 6, From now on I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago, you have not heard of them before today, so you cannot say, oh yes, I knew of them. <laughs> okay, so the phrase, what have you done for me lately, springs to mind here. It's God saying, okay, I have new stuff for you. I don't know. Like what? So like you're not bored, or you're not, you're not jaded. There's new things here. And of course, what you know i read this as a christian what will be the absolute most shocking new thing of all five centuries ahead will be god taking on human flesh to solve the problem to turn plan c the failure of israel into plan d the victory of Jesus. Verse 8. You've neither heard nor understood. From of old your ears have not been open. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. Okay, pick up that word rebel there. I mean, that, that's a good summary word for what happened in the garden. Yes, they eat forbidden fruit, but what did they really do? They, they rebelled against God. And what have humans been doing ever since rebelling against God? I just saw, Patty reminded me, that the latest Gallup poll, unsurprisingly, has the percentage of people in America who believe in some sort of God as, as continues to fall. It's down like to 80% those who will profess some sort of belief in some sort of God. And it's, I'm sure it will continue to fall. I'm sure it will continue to fall, sadly. That is the time we live in. It's the time we live in. So God says, well do I, in verse 8, well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. Right? It's almost a way out. Isn't that almost a way, speaking of original sin, Patty, that we're born a rebel? There's something in us. Yeah. That's just, yeah. we're born with it. We're born with this problem we can't fix. 
Original sin is just an, a word used to put to the observation that there is something wrong with us. And the word used to talk about that is original sin. That's all it is. It's not any scientific kind of word. It's just, just a simple observation that indeed, look around, there is something wrong with us that we can't fix. But then God says, for my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. <laughs> I don't know why the things pop into my mind that they do when I, I'm doing this. Okay, so now what popped into my mind was Jim. Like ninth grade Jim. Uh. Yeah, so <laughs> in ninth grade Jim... The gym teachers, the coaches, these were the, you know, the, it was a, not a big high school. We graduated 150 in my class. But they had paddles. And if you didn't do as you were supposed to, you got paddled. Wow. And you hoped, you hoped that they would not pick the paddle where the holes had been drawn into the paddle. Because if holes are drawn into the paddle, it could be swung a lot faster. So, what you would hope for would be that the wrath of Coach, I don't know, can't remember their names, Honeycutter, whatever, would be delayed. So here God says, for my own sake I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise I held it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. This is exactly what Moses says to God at Mount Sinai. When Moses goes down the mountain, he discovers that the people have made this golden calf. God says, okay, that's it. I'm done. We're through. And then Moses starts to persuade God that that's a really bad idea. And one of the, one of the arguments that Moses makes is, how will this look to the world? What will this what will this mean for your reputation? That you you set aside these people and and they failed and hence you failed and your whole plan failed. Remember remember what the larger picture is that God wants to reconcile humanity to God, but God can't force people to do this. God wants to be loved. God is love, so God wants a people who will love God and who will love each other. That's, that's who God is. And true love can't be coerced, threatened, bribed, or anything else. So the people can't be robots. God has to have a way of bringing people to God. So them seeing a relentlessly benevolent rescuing God is essential. There needs to be a, a good witness to God, not a bad witness. Not a, so Moses says you can't destroy your people. You can't just bring them out here and then abandon them. How will that look to others? <laughs> Which at first seems very superficial until you stop to think about it. Well, okay, what does Jesus say? Go be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What does Paul say to the Corinthians? Well, I'm glad you enjoy your tongue speaking, but you need to keep it all under control or people are going to think you're crazy and nobody's going to come in the front door. 
They're going to walk it. They're going to cross the street to the other side. And they're going to chalk you up as madmen. And how can we grow? How can we grow the body of Christ if that's what they do? That's the essence of what he says. And here it's the same idea. You know, you, you, you always, just always have to keep in your mind this larger, the larger view of what Israel is about. Israel, they are not, sure, we often call them the chosen people, but they're not chosen for their own sake. They're chosen for the world's sake. There, there's a dark side to being chosen. They're the ones who know exactly how they are to live with God and with each other. Everybody else on the planet's guessing, but they know exactly how they're to live with God and each other. And it just it just puts a magnifying glass, a dark magnifying glass, on their failure to do that. Um, so all through this, I just keep hearing these words, if only. Verse 10, see, I have refined you, though not as silver, Malachi talks about the refiner's fire of silver and gold in which things are put in this big furnace and stuff, right? I can remember, you know, I haven't refined gold, but, you know, we probably, a lot of us have milked down lead and things like that. Making pine wood derby cars, if nothing else. <laughs> and those little little action figures. Yeah, the yeah. little tin, tin figures people made over yeah. the years and yeah. so forth. So, see, I have refined you. They're not as silver. They're not as drastic as trying to refine, refine silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Things haven't been easy for the Israelites. Some of them were brought on themselves. Some of it was brought on in being part of this broken, sinful world. that desperately needs to be redeemed and renewed and restored. So I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, God says, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not let, I will not yield my glory to another. God is not going to give up this project. You know, when I reflect on this, I... I <laughs> I always go back to the story actually before Noah, right? Back there in Genesis 6 when it says, the whole world is evil, top to bottom, evil, evil, evil everywhere, from morning till night, all anyone ever thought about was evil. And you kind of wonder at that point, it's still early in the game, why doesn't God just leave and start over somewhere else? I think it reveals a lot about the nature of God and the character of God that God does not simply leave and go to another galaxy and start over somewhere. No, it has to be here. God made the world in order to make the church. And God is going to find the path that can bring the world to God even if that means that God himself will take on human flesh, even if that means God himself will be crucified by the Romans. So, I will not yield my glory to another. 
Dory is just that social term meaning everybody can see who you are. It's God. God is going to do this. He's going to stick with these purposes despite the failings of Israel. It just presents a problem, seemingly unsolvable problem, but it will not be unsolvable for God given to the given the extent to which God will go to solve it. Okay? Anything on all that, Patty? No, everybody's very quiet today. Any questions out there, guys? Anything, anything happening? Okay. Got a good group. Good. A lot of people. Good. good. A lot of screens, I should say. And a lot of people behind them all. Yes. A lot of couples behind some of them. We sure things, do. So. Okay. Now, verse 12. Listen to me, Jacob. Israel, whom I have called, right? Because God is the one who visited Abraham and Sarah. I am he. I am the first. And I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summoned them, they all stand up together. This is God's creation. From beginning to end, from first to last, from top to bottom. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? This is probably the, the prophet speaking now. Yahweh's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. And by now, as we finish up this, this section of 40 to 48, we realize, we understand that this is Cyrus. Right? Cyrus is going to be raised up by God to 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 suppress to conquer the Babylonians and will then who and he will then allow the Israelites to begin to return home. Right. right? This, this again for people who haven't been with us, right, is Cyrus the king, not somebody who's um, a believer, of course. No, he's pagan. He's just the king of Persia. But see, God can use whom God wants to use, right? To accomplish God's purposes. Thank you, Patty. It's just been a while since we even said the word Cyrus. <laughs> it has been. So. so then verse 15, I even I have spoken. This is God again. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him and he will succeed in his mission. Come near and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And then a funny half verse we're going to have to remember. And now the Sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his spirit. So who is this? Who is this that God has sent? Endowed with his spirit, meaning endowed with, filled with the Holy Spirit. There is only one third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's only one. And I, I agree with the translators of the NIV that this should be a capital S. The, NI, the NRSV has a lower S here, which just talks about, you know, the, I'm, I'm feeling spirited or whatever, but I, I don't think that. I think the word endow should be followed with the sense that this is the Holy Spirit we're talking about, the Holy Spirit being God's empowering presence. So hang on to... Verse 16b, the last portion of verse 16. And now the Sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his Spirit, 
And, and the question, well, who is this? Because that's a little introduction to this portion of Isaiah that begins in chapter 49, in which we will learn more and more about this servant. Is it simply the this the second prophet? Is it Israel? Does it look further down the road to someone else? Verse 17. So this is what Yahweh says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am Yahweh your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. I'm preaching this Sunday at 9.30. I'm preaching on love and law. Okay? The heart of the law is God's teachings about how we were created to live. That's it. You can get lost in all the ins and outs of the Hebrew law, which was given to people millennia ago, but... It, in the end, in its essence, it is about living as we were created to live. Loving God, loving others, honoring God, being true to others, um, being faithful people to God, to others. So, verse 17. This is what Yahweh says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, Remember that Holy One of Israel is a pretty distinctive way of speaking about God that, that you find a lot of in Isaiah. Many times we've come across that. I am Yahweh your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only, there we go, as promised, if only you had paid attention to my commands. Your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. If only, if only they, they, they could have been the people they were created to be. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be blotted out nor destroyed from before me. It's just kind of a kind of a beautiful poignant I found I find it poignant this if only business. You know? God has been very very true to these people. He has not abandoned them. Um as we're about to see here in verse twenty, but but if only they could have been the people they were called to be, the people they were taught to be. They can't plead ignorance about this. If only they could have been the people they were they were created to be, called to be. <laughs> but no. So they are in Babylon, and God is going to rescue them from Babylon and bring them back to Jerusalem in the person of King Cyrus, the king of Persia, who will defeat the Babylonians and allow them, allow the Israelites to return um, to Jerusalem. 
So verse 20, leave Babylon, God says, flee from the Babylonians. Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, Yahweh has redeemed his servant Jacob. Let everybody see what God has done for this, un, for this faithless, recalcitrant, difficult people. And then we're going to reflect back on the story of the Exodus and the immediate aftermath of the crossing of the Red Sea. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. Book of Exodus. Moses taps a rock and water comes out, right? He split the rock and water gushed out. And then there is this verse 22. It's just kind of dropped in here. Maybe some of you have said this. Wow. Maybe some of your parents have yes. said this. There is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. Right? So in a way, it kind of, you know, God has said, well, if only you had been the people I created you to be, I taught you to be, I showed you how to be. If you had only been those people. But you weren't. And so the, there is no peace for the wicked. In, the, in this rough burlap-like fabric of moral causation that constitutes God's creation. There is no peace for the wicked. Peace is found in, in righteousness, in truth, in, in justice, in compassion, in kindness. All of those ideas are wrapped up in the Jewish word shalom, which is about peace and well-being much more than simply like goodbye or hello. It's, it's almost a prayer of well-beingness. So, but they didn't. That's just a story, you know. You can go back and read your Old Testament for yourself. Read the book of Kings. You'll see it all laid out for you there. There is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. You kind of blew it. But we're going to go back to Jerusalem now. And we're going to start over. How do you think that's going to work? <laughs> think it's going to work great? No. No, it's not going to work great, is it? And it's not. So I do have a question. Yeah. I'm going to go back to 19, where your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its oh, numberless grains. What, you don't want me to do that? No, I do. I'm trying to get rid of... I have some, some something on my screen here I want to get rid of. Okay. <laughs> Well, okay. I'm just thinking back yeah. to the promise that God made Abraham about giving him a people and making their numbers, you know, like the stars. And he doesn't give Abraham, like, I'm going to do this for you, but you need to do this for me. It's a one sided thing. So, do you think these people might feel, those who kind of know of that promise, would they kind of feel like, well, God's kind of going back on his word a little bit because he promised Abraham all these things for us with nothing on Abraham's side, what he had to do, what we had to do to make that all happen. So, But what happens when Abraham's family arrives at the bottom of Mount Sinai? And God says, okay, I'm now going to teach you how to live with me and live each other, with each other. And we're going to make a covenant. 
Oh, I'm going to okay. make promises to you. Are you ready to enter into this covenant? And they go, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Woohoo! The God says again, are you ready? Are you really ready? They say, yes, 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 like three times. Yes, 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 we're ready. So that's why you have to look at it all in the context of this narrative. So yes, the promise to Abraham really is unconditional, yes. which tells you that in the end, it will be kept. See, that keeping is in the person of Jesus, right? right. Who has the blood of Abraham flowing through his veins. Right. <laughs> but, right. but... There's this long narrative between Abraham and Jesus that takes you through Mount Sinai and the giving of the law and the people's signing on for that. And if they had been the people God called them to be and did live as God taught them to live, they would have had peace like a river. But they didn't. They didn't. They lived like everybody else lived around them. So they... Um, didn't get the rest because there's no rest for the wicked. You see, I think we Christians, I, I read something, somebody's comment, I don't know when it was, maybe it was, um, uh, maybe it was today or, or the other day. It says, the trap Christians are falling into is that we want to solve our societal and cultural problems using the ways of this world rather than using the ways of Jesus. And I think that's pretty true. That is kind of what, when, when I listen to, to Christians and, and to too many preachers, and, and we're not a call to approach problems through the lens of good government or good sociology or something else. Where, where, where to approach them through the lens of Jesus. And I think it's pretty easy to just approach problems the way the rest of the world does. Not, not to see ourselves as different from the world around us. So, I don't know. Good point, Patty. Well, I guess it was me, Steve, just thinking that, um, yeah, we want God to fulfill all his promises. But without us necessarily having to do our part, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah, see, I guess, we'll okay, yeah, it's, it's sort of like people want to imagine that God is the God of the magic wand. Mm -hmm. That God, well, why hasn't God just gone around fixing everything with the little magic wand, you know, right. figuratively speaking, this, this, I'll go, I'll go fix all this stuff. Because God pulls us into this project. We're a little lower than the angels, the writer of Hebrews says. So we're not children. God doesn't treat us as children. You might use God might use a magic wand if God wanted to treat us as little innocent creatures, you know, who are too too dumb to 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 make decisions on our own but God isn't that isn't how God sees us boy that's clear in first Corinthians that I'm doing now on Tuesdays mm -mm 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 -mm. Paul has Paul is quite clear about his expectations for these people and he's quite clear that 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 these are God's expectations for these people that when they come to faith in Christ and they join this these communities of, of believers 
a lot changes for them. A lot changes. Everything changes for them. So, okay. So that, my friends, is chapter 48, which ends with the, there is no peace for the wicked. And then we're going to come to chapter 49. And chapter 49, we begin to focus on this servant, this servant of the Lord, this servant of Yahweh. And it's going to open with, with kind of a call um, section, kind of like in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is called by God when Jeremiah was still in the womb. This is going to be. This is a call narrative, a call story of whom of this servant. Now, and then the question is, well, who is this servant? And you might provide different answers to it. We Christians, <laughs> as it goes on, would be pretty hard pressed to see anyone other than Jesus as this servant. But understand, it, it's not like these, the, these chapters are just sitting here just kind of waiting for Jesus to come along. They're not. The Jews would have seen in them um, aspirations and, and promises. And um, from what I understand, for many Jews, they came to see Israel as the servant of Yahweh. Israel as um, the suffering servant because they did suffer. But maybe they forgot this little half verse from chapter 48 where it's, God says you didn't do it in truth and righteousness. But in any event, chapter 49. Now, okay. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. This is like going out to everybody. Which is interesting, isn't it? That right away... The world, in essence, the world is called into this. Not just, not, just, not just the Israelites, not just the Jews, not just Abraham's family. The world, the islands, the distant nations are called into this. And the servant says, Before I was born, Yahweh called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. From the very beginning, the servant understands that God called him to this even before he was born. Before I was born, Yahweh called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Right? Um, speaking truth I, is probably a good way to summarize that. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me as if to protect him. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. As if this, as if this servant needed protection from people who were out to find him or destroy him. And of course, you know, I can't help 
I can't help but think of Jesus. I can't help but think of, of God coming to Joseph and telling Joseph to grab Mary and the baby and run. And they ran to Egypt to escape the massacre um, of the innocents in, in Bethlehem. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel in whom I will display my splendor. So, in a way, this servant is a stand-in, stand-in, S-T-A-N-D hyphen I-N, a stand-in for the people called Israel. Okay. All right? Mm -hmm. So, so, um, the way N.T. Wright does this and John Golden Gay does this and others do this is something like this. The servant will do and be for Israel what they were unable to do and be for themselves. The servant might be a remnant of just one faithful Jew But the servant, this what? This new Israel is a stand-in for the Israel that has failed. Failed. I mean, really, failed. That, that's, the, that's the tragic part of the story. God's people have not been able to be the people God called them to be or taught them to be. Verse 3, God said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. And what is due me is in Yahweh's hand, and my reward is with my God. An expression of frustration, right? Um, I hear the voice of the prophet speaking here. Um, how many prophets have there been in the history of Israel? What's really changed? Wouldn't it be hard to be somebody who, who, is, who sees what needs to be done, divinely inspired, however, who sees what needs to be done and tells people, but just watches day after day, month after month, year after year pass, and nothing really changes. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in Yahweh's hand. My reward is with my God. So you're centered back on God, even in the frustration. And now Yahweh says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. 
thus, the word thus isn't there, but I'm adding it. Thus, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, because that's been the goal all along. So this servant is like two, two, too big a servant, too powerful a servant, too, in God's sense of what power is, too, too much, to be used only for the sake of the Jews. And so in addition, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. God says that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Um, one of the sadnesses that happens, so you certainly see it in like Paul's letter to the Romans, that the Jews, they, they, were, they so easily forgot the larger purpose. They developed, I think probably after a lot of years and centuries of persecution, a sense of ethnic privilege that they were the special ones. God had chosen them and everybody else be damned. And Paul understands that no, that isn't it. They were not chosen for their own sake. They haven't been saved by God for their own sake. They were created by God for their own sake. They weren't given the law by God for their own sake. It was all about the world. And will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And there's that larger purpose. Right there here in Isaiah 49.6. Again, we've seen it before in Isaiah. And as Patty brought out, you could go all the way back to Genesis 12.3 when God says to Abraham, I will, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham. Yeah. All means all. Ends of the earth means all. Verse 7. This is what Yahweh says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. That's almost like a little formula again, right? To him who was despised and abhorred by the nation. Ah, that nation being whom? Almost certainly the Jews. To the servants of rulers. Kings will see you, my... I'm going to add some words here to make this easier. My kings will see you, my servant. They will stand up. Princes will see you and they will bow down because of Yahweh who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. So the natural question is, who is this servant? Right? And I'm sure you can be sure that many answers were supplied over time until finally it becomes plain as day who it is and that's Jesus and the evidence for that lies in the resurrection okay so anything Patty nothing right now good. well verse 8 this is what Yahweh says in the time of my favor I will answer you in the day of my salvation I will help you I will keep you speaking to the servant and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances to say to the captives come out 
and to those in the darkness be free. This is a little signpost looking ahead just a little bit later in Isaiah when we come to the passage where Jesus reads from when he stands up in Nazareth in Luke 4 and explains his mission, right? And he uses the phrases from Isaiah and then he sits down and he says, these have been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus does claim to be this servant. I mean, that's what's happening in Nazareth that day. And he will be the one who says to the captives, come out to those in the darkness, be free. Jesus will announce God's salvation, not merely to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And he will, he will be in New Israel, gathering around himself 12 disciples who are, in essence, the 12 tribes. And he will send them out to carry the word, to carry the good news. They will feed beside the roads and find a pasture on every barren hill. They'll neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or sun beat down on them. Those are ancient expressions in an arid climate of the good life. <laughs> he who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Psalm 23, right? Shepherd and sheep being led to drink. I will turn all my mountains into roads, God says. And my highways will be raised up to make things easy for you. See, they'll come from afar, some from the south, north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For Yahweh comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But you know what the people say. That's, that's what the word Zion is. Zion is a symbolic word for the people of God because it's a symbolic word for Jerusalem, which is the city of God and the city of the people. But Zion said, Yahweh's forsaken me. Yahweh has, for the Lord has forgotten me. See, how, how poorly do they know God? If you, if you ever find yourself doubting that God loves you and that God is with you, or if you find yourself thinking that God has forsaken you, just stop it. Just stop it. That's not who God is. This library of 66 books, sacred writings, in which God reveals himself is all about God's relentless love, his unwillingness to forsake. Even if he, even if God disciplines them, God will start over with them in the prophet Isaiah. I'll start over with them. We're just going to go out into the wilderness, this beautiful wilderness, and we're just going to start over again. Like two new lovers starting over again. So, you know, I, I know that many of us, most of us, all of us, may get those thoughts from time to time that, you know, God is, God's abandoned me. But you just have to, like, train yourself. Memorize some scripture. Do something. 
to so that you can you can really lift yourself out of that because it's it's just not true it won't be true it won't ever be true if it wasn't true of these israelites these jews after a millennium after a millennium and a half of faithlessness well it's sorry not going to be true of you and me and then so 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 the people say how Yahweh's forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And look at God's response. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Can a mother have no compassion on the child that she has born? <laughs> Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Then God says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands, God says. What a dramatic image that is. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes, look around, all your children gather and come to you. God is always offering visions of hope and restoration, even in the bad times, even when the people are judged, even when God says the world's going to fall in on you, but your children are going to gather around you because God is always lifting us up so that we can grasp the vision of a world restored. You see, that's the beauty of Revelation 21 and 22, which we just talked about this past weekend in church. That's the vision of a world put right, of a world restored. And there's all these little signposts in Scripture all the way along pointing toward that, using different images. Yeah, they're ancient images because I don't have a fig tree to sit under and talk with my neighbor. I don't have a plowshare to beat into a sword, but I get it. I know what those passages are about. I get it. We should all get it. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. <laughs> as surely as I live, declares Yahweh, you will wear them all as ornaments. You'll put them on like a bride. <laughs> and so I was just thinking of the, you know, like the, remember the mother's bracelets, Patty, that would have little, um, yes. what do you, what, what do you call those kind of bracelets? What do you, you mean they have like little birthstones of the kids on them? Maybe that or little, other little things girls would put on those bracelets. Little charms. Charm, charm yes. bracelets. Yes, that's it. That you might have birthstones of your kids, your kids' names or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right, right. You're going to wear them all as ornaments. All your family, all your kids. You put them on like a bride. Is it any wonder then that part and parcel of this comes to be the understanding that we will all be resurrected bodily? These images of a family being restored, of a family coming together, of a family coming together around the table, they're beautiful. And they, they will be fulfilled in the concreteness 
the materialness, the materiality of a restored world and, and our own resurrections, bodily resurrections, physical, transphysical, whatever word you want to use, I don't care, resurrection, in which we can sit together and we can dance and we can eat and we can hug and we can love. That's what the images point us toward. And so here Israel is feeling forsaken and forgotten and God doesn't get doesn't get angry, right? When they say, Oh, I'm you've forgotten me, you've forsaken me. No. Susan put a little post there saying yeah. it's hard to follow who is speaking at times, God or the servant. It is hard to follow at times who is speaking. And, you know, one, just take a little bit of comfort from this. A, a, a prophet was essentially a vessel for God's word. So whether the prophet is speaking, the servant is speaking, or God is speaking, it's still, it's still God's word that we're hearing. Because it is difficult. I, I That is... For me too, Susan, that is one of the challenging pieces. And for scholars, it's one of the challenging pieces. And it's why having a study Bible that helps kind of pull apart these paragraphs in that way can be helpful. But um, I think we can get most of this. If you really understand what the larger story is, what the larger purpose of God is, then exactly who's speaking at each point sort of drifts down, okay? Because when the servant speaks the promise of God, it's still God's promise, right? I mean, the servant is the speaker for God. That's what Moses and Aaron were. They spoke for God. Okay. So we're going to stop right there at 49.18. We will finish up chapter 49 next week. Um, and then we will continue in, this, in these servant passages. Um, and I think these, we're going to be coming upon some of the best known, <laughs> best known passages from Isaiah in these servant passages. Uh, so in any event, we'll do that next week. Right, Patty? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be here. We will be here. So let me get Patty in the frame. Here I am. Back there again. we go. Let, get the cameraman to catch up here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for being with us today. Um, as we close, I just wanted you to uh, pray for two people. Um, please, uh, a good friend of ours is starting chemo tomorrow, uh, first chemo treatment, and we pray that goes very well. And also, somebody who used to come in person to our Monday night class, Linda McLaughlin, she is going through a very, very difficult time with her cancer right now, and um, is also going to start getting um, infused chemo. She has been doing it orally. Her body is not doing well right now. She's having severe difficulty with her hands and her feet blistering and it's just really really tough she is waiting for a new medication that is not FDA approved her doctor's trying to get it for her as that might be something that could help save her life so 
Um, we have so many friends right now that are going through some sort of physical we do physical thing this is um, what happens when you get older i guess that's what why it is really? i i've had a number of people say why is this happening and i said we're all getting old and that's really when i was true. when i was 30 i didn't know anybody who was going through mm -mm. anything no no right mm -mm. it would be rare it would be rare but now it's not but we know god does wonderful things we've seen it we see it with our own eyes all the time all the folks that we pray for to get through their surgeries and different treatments okay and next thing you know many of those people you're seeing back in church and so we do know their prayer works and um, we're just going to continue to pray you know for saint andrew and for our group here and our family so if you would just close with me today heavenly father we do thank you so much for the gift of prayer that you have given us um, we don't understand it exactly, Lord, but we know that you do hear our prayers. And we pray, God, today for all those that are suffering, for all those, Lord, that are starting either new cancer treatments or waiting on drugs or waiting on um, test results. It becomes a very stressful time, God. You know that for so many people. We pray, God, that you would watch over this group and continue, God, to hold us close we pray for good health, Lord. We pray that you would keep us safe. And we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives to help us all make better decisions, better choices, God, every day. Lord, we love you, and we truly are grateful. We lift up all these prayers to you this afternoon, and we pray them all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Adios, everybody. Bye, guys. Hope you Enjoy have a great Enjoy the rest evening. of your Monday. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow, maybe. Yeah. 12 o'clock. 1 Corinthians. Yep. Join anytime. anytime. Honestly, anytime. Online, in person. The whole. The whole bit. The whole bit. Bring lunch. Don't bring lunch. <laughs> I, we are so flexible. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.